0: Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. My name is Emma Carpenter, and this is my first time here live in the studio. I am so excited for my guest today to join me here on Five Clubs, and that is Karen Stupples. Karen Stupples is a superstar, a collegiate Division One player at Florida State, an LPGA tour major winner as well as a golf channel broadcaster and analyst for both the LPGA and PGA tour. The first ever female I might add to be an analyst for a PGA tour event. So she is an excellent person. I'm so excited to sit down with her today and I know that you are going to enjoy the listen. And with that, I welcome in Karen Stupples. Karen, thank you so much for being here today and joining me. It's my pleasure. I'm just uh, happy that you want to talk to me. So thank you. (laughs) Today is my first day here in Charlotte, here, right here in the Five Club studio. I'm typically remote, so very exciting. Like I said, my first time in Charlotte, my first time in the studio. So it is, it's an absolute honor to have you here. You just got back from the NCAA Women's National Championship. How was that? You know, it was a, its always an amazing experience for
1: me because you know I cover professional golf uh, most of the year, uh, and to go and see what I consider to be golf in its purest form, uh, sort of unencumbered by um, sponsor obligations and um, you know the, the the money side of things. This is—they're this is, playing to win. That the, the players are just playing to win. This is for, for school pride. Uh, there's a whole lot at stake for them. They're playing for each other. Um, when you play on a golf team or well, you know because you've been there that, that that's your family and so, so you're playing for, for your your school's family and um there's a lot at stake for you and, and and emotionally as well as on the golf course too i think uh, there are some players that are there that are, you know this, this will be the final time that they play for their college team and so there's always a roller coaster of emotions and it, that to me is just you know pure golf like they're there for the competition and uh, for school pride and, and that to me is a very special thing
0: i love that yeah exactly like you say basically like pure love for the game pure want to win yeah. with for no other desire and for i mean how neat is it that it, like you said your last chance playing kind of for a team unless you know having yep. the opportunity to play in in a solheim cup like you have or or other things like that so it does it changes things and makes it different when you have that that match play aspect of it speaking of your alma mater florida state they were they were there in the quarterfinals was that fun oh <laughs> was that fun to support though <laughs> it was it was fabulous i
1: mean they came so close last year i mean it was kind of heartbreaking with alice hodge there on the on the final hole last year, just to not quite get the job done to not get into match play. And even this year, uh, they were so close with Bridges Walleen like being right there, going down to the 19th hole in in her match. I mean, it was just, I I mean, I'm commentating on on her match and it's so hard to be impartial and not to be (laughs) rooting for them. I'm like, okay, I have to just talk golf here. I have to just talk golf and not get all emotional about the whole thing. Uh, but but it was particularly, import, you know, cool for her because to, to get through the match play and to, to try and, you know, to be the one where it was kind of all riding on because she came back uh, to college to finish off her her, her season there with them. Uh, she could have turned pro like so many others do. She has status on the Epson tour and she could have just gone off and played professional golf. But she decided to help Amy Bond out, the coach at Florida State, and go back to school. and and
0: uh, she's given her team her, her team an opportunity at least it's so heartbreaking even just watching it always it always my dad always told me when i when i started playing golf he said it always comes down to a shot and it always does i mean in those matches when it comes down to one stroke is the difference for your team it's it's crazy and it's intense i know watching it It's interesting. um, I'm good friends with a lady called Nora
1: Tyson and she's a a Vanderbilt alumni and she's actually on their board. And she was asking me because she was going to go and talk to the team. um, And uh, she said to me, what what should I tell them? What advice would would you give me to tell the team? And I said, fight for every single one shot, which is exactly what you said, because every single one shot, because you never know when it's going to count. And I said, no matter how badly you're feeling on the golf course, because your golf may or may not be up to what you expect Fight for those shots for your teammates because you never know when it's going to help. So value your teammates over your hurt pride more.
0: I love that. I love that. That's uh, that's great, especially in match play like we're talking about. I feel like um, I feel like you can tell yourself early on, oh, it's early in the match; there's still time to make things up. But you know, coming down to the stretch, those those shots early, on, no matter where they happen in the round, those shots still matter, right? They do. They do. And, and, you know, with match play too, that it's,
1: you if you get two down, two down, one down is, you know, no big deal. That's, you know, that's just swings and roundabouts. But if you get two down, all of a sudden it just seems like such a big mountain to overcome. So you have to try a whole, you know, hang in there for as long as you can and, uh, and hopefully turn it around, but right. you can't, uh, you can't let shots go.
0: Right. Right. And that's when you start pressing and, and then start making bigger mistakes. So so yeah. something that something that I really want to ask your opinion on, you've been you've been through it all the the high junior golf level the college the collegiate golf the the professional golf and now doing the broadcasting the commentating when you're oh. watching there at the, at the women's national championship I mean most the majority of these of these young women are, are aspiring professionals I mean I'm sure they look up to you as as many other professionals and former professionals what is something that you notice. In watching all of these all of these young athletes, that kind of separates um, the the ones who who finish on top, who who win and, and finish in, in the top, as opposed to to the ones who don't. What do you think is that is that factor?
1: There are so many things that go into a player's success at any kind of level. Um, Sure, you can see a good golf swing, you can see good ball strikers, but the players that achieve, the ones that go on and do greater things, have some intangibles that, that no amount of coaching could ever teach. Um, a, a lot of it is self belief, you know, believing in your own abilities, not letting anybody say anything that's going to interfere uh, with your self belief on, on how you are on the golf course, trusting in yourself, knowing that what you have is good enough. To, to win you don't have to be anything other than yourself so that's that's one of those things that I think is is huge um the other one is just an obscene work ethic just to to work hard just to be single minded determined just focused on your goals and the other one is to compartmentalize is is to be kind of where you're focused on those individual goals, small goals, to, to form a big goal. So I guess that's being process oriented more than anything else and being emotionally detached from the results. Mm. There, there's, so much, there's so much that goes into to being successful. Um, and you can try and pin it down to one or two things. And for the most part, players players believe that they, are, that they have to be, have a perfect swing or they have to have a perfect putting stroke. Uh, that's not true. I mean, that might, the thing I always like to say is all you have to do is just look at Jim Furyk. I mean, would you ever think that he would be the guy to have a 58 and a 59? No, you'd think it'd be Tiger Woods, right? But it's not. It's Jim Furyk. So you don't have to be perfect. It's just about, it's it's the mental side of it as much as anything.
0: Yeah, and is that something that you feel like you can you can notice even even just by observing who has that who has that confidence that that mindset of that really nobody can nobody can get in and, and affect how they how they feel.
1: You can you, you can really see it uh, in the players, and and you know on a at the college level you can see it within the coaches too, and how the coaches mm. instill that confidence in their players. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's not really a surprise to see Stanford uh, continually. You know, throwing out great team after great team. Um, Ann Walker, the coach there, does a fabulous job in, in how she preps her team and, and how she talks to them and how she makes them believe in themselves. Uh, and in and the same way as as, uh, as Derek Radley there at Oregon now too, um, he does the same thing with with his players, and that's so uh, so big. But the the difference then becomes: can they transfer that from having somebody to help prop them up at college level to to then doing it on their own? as an individual, when you're up against everybody else, that, that that's also trying to do the same thing. So that you can definitely see it. Um, as you've transitioned from college golf into professional golf, you, you, I'm starting to see a trend, certainly on the women's side of things now too. Uh, but We've already seen it happen in the men's side of things that longer players are starting to achieve more. So even in the women's game, the longer you are, the, the better chance of having, an, having a, an elongated career, so to speak. Um, you're going to have better scoring options. You're not going to have to rely so much on your short game, which causes a lot of stress. So the longer you are for the tee now, the better off you are. It's becoming a much more athletic game. And uh, you see that throughout college. And it's transitioning
0: now into the, the LPGA Tour. Interesting. Interesting that you bring that up. I feel like that's been such a top, such a, a hot topic in golf over the last few years, especially, especially in the men's, but then even now more so, I would just say kind of in the last few years in the women's game. I mean, first a few years ago with Bryson DeChambeau and, you know, the, the extreme transition, the, the, the shift that he, the shift that he made, the changes he made and, and the difference yeah. that 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 made for him statistically, you know, it's definitely interesting. Um, so I, and, and back, back in high school, I actually, I learned to play golf. Um, I played golf on the, on the boys high school team. And I, it was like, I was constantly surrounded by like hit the ball as far as you can <laughs> by that yep. being, that being the mentality. And that's kind of like how I learned to play golf a little bit. And it's interesting, but I mean, I noticed when I play, when I play in college with players who really, who really impressed me, they, I mean, they have that, they have that distance. They have that power. It's, it's like playing a different game. It really is that, that advantage. It, it, it is.
1: And, and, and you know, I think that, you know, for a number of years that, that, you know, the average drivers of the golf ball or distance players have been able to, you know, get away with it. So to speak, you know, you're thinking, I'm thinking in park, Lydia coast, you know, that they've been world number ones hitting it fairly average in terms of distance wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're seeing a transition, um, that even Lydia Coe's trying to find more distance. Um, and, and, you, and you look at Inby Park. She still can compete if her putt is hot. But if it's not hot, she, she doesn't compete anymore. Uh, the, the competitive desire hasn't
0: left her. It's just uh, the, the distance is not there. Why do, why do you think that shift has happened over the years? Why it's, it's, so, much more, it's so much more prevalent now as it, as it was <laughs> in the past? Is it, is it women are just getting more distance and it's proving to show? Or why do you think that is? I think it stems from
1: uh, coaching, to be honest with you, because for mm. the longest time, women have been told, oh, keep it in the fairway, way, yep. get it straight, mm-hmm. be accurate. Women haven't ever been told go out there and pound on that golf ball, hit it as far as you can, and then live with whatever happens. Mm-hmm. That's not for the longest time how women were taught how to play golf, unless they were lucky like you or I, where all we had, where we grew up playing with the boys.
0: Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> in, in that
1: case, you kind of grow up thinking like the boys and you play like the boys. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, you, if you're if you not in that environment and, and you've got a, a coach or your dad or someone I'll just keep it in play, hit the ball in the fairway, make some putts. That's how you're taught. And of course, it comes to a certain point in your life that you you just can't gain that kind of speed anymore, even when you want to, because you're so conditioned to just the mindset of just keeping it down the fairway, bunt it down the fairway, keep it in play. So the transition is, is in thinking and in coaching and how people coach women and how people coach us how to play golf from a young age. And you're starting
0: to see the transition happen now. Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure that's definitely shifting down into into junior golfers, young, young, young girls who, who are learning to play golf. I mean, now now with I mean, you've got you've got so many of the, of these big power hitters like Maria Fosse. I mean, all these young uh-huh. women who have who can really put it out there. So I, I would not be surprised if it, if it continues to trend in that direction. You know, I want to I definitely yeah. want to touch on a little bit more about about that transition from college to professional golf. But, but firstly, I mean, I, since you were just there, I need to get your opinion. Like you mentioned, Stanford had an unbelievable team this year. It was kind of hard not to yep. root for them just because they had such a great team. I mean, Rose Zang, incredibly impressive and her teammate, Rachel Heck. What do you, what do you notice about those two players? Obviously they're different, they're different players, they're different people. What do you think that each of them has that, that gives them that, that it factor?
1: Oh, um, it's very different, I think. Right. Um, Rachel Heck is a very well-rounded individual mm-hmm. uh, who already understands that golf isn't going to define her. Um, she knows that no matter what happens in her life, she's going to be just fine. She has aspirations greater than golf. And uh, it's something that I think that runs through her whole family, having met, having met, having met most of them. And so she's a very special person in that, that department. So golf isn't going to define her, which kind of frees her up on the golf course to play, to play her best kind of game has been sick this year. Uh, she's you know been fighting mono. So it's been a bit of an issue for her in terms mm. of the amount the amount she's been able to play in practice. So we didn't see the real Rachel Heck at NCAAs this year, but we saw her last year. So we kind of, so we know what she's got. And then when you talk about Rosang, Rosang is very Lydia Coe-like in so many ways. Um, I had a really good chance to speak to her this past week and I was so impressed with how mature she was, um, how just on top of everything, much like Lydia Coe is always on top of everything, very thoughtful with her responses uh, to questions. And in general, she knows what's going on out on the golf course uh, across the board. Um, I think Stanford going to college is is just like a a cherry on the top of her because her playing resume is is second to none. When you think about winning the, the amateur championship, the, the US Women's Amateur, the Women's Junior—you mm-hmm. know—all of these things, you know, create a well-rounded resume that a number of players might have turned pro already and said, "You know what? I'm just going to go turn pro. I'm going to go start making a living." Right. But she decides to go to Stanford mm-hmm. uh, because she wants that little bit to to kind of—I don't know. I, I think there's—I think players need balance, and I think think what she, what this has done for her is created balance, which is an even more scary prospect when you think of. All of that talent golf game wise um she is, she's pretty i mean she's not the longest, I know we've just talked about length she's not right. the longest right. but would, she's long yeah. enough mm-hmm. yeah, but she's long enough, and she's but she's you know very steady across the board so so I don't know how it, it translates yet. Interprofessional. I mean, we'll get a glimpse of it when she goes and plays at uh, at Dana in Toledo because the, the, the winner of the individual championship gets an invite to play in that LPJ event mm. later this year. So mm. so we'll get a chance to see it. Uh, but I think at the moment, I think she's it will translate quite well, uh, just as long as she stays true to who she is. Because uh, as soon as you start trying to chase that distance, if you don't have it, it's, it becomes a difficult prospect.
0: Right. In the interviews that I've watched with her or or any other – things like that. She definitely, I completely agree with you. I was very impressed. I thought she seemed extremely, yeah. extremely mature and just very thoughtful, very genuine, um, very, yeah. just a good head on her shoulders.
1: <laughs> well, and the friendship that she has with Rachel Heck too is, mm. is very cool. Like, mm. like the pair of them have, have really come together as friends. And uh, when, when you think about how competitive they are with each other in every event that they play in, um, to have that kind of a friendship with somebody who you're competing against, is, is kind of a nice special bond. I mean, I also ought to give big props to Aileen Crowder too, who also plays on, on the Stanford team. She was a senior, so she, she's, she's, she's finished after this. Mm. But she won the, the Women's British Amateur Championship. So in terms of match play experience, she brings a lot to the table there too. And just from top to bottom, Stanford as a team are just – they're deep. Mm. And, uh, and and at college golf, if you've got five players that can, that are – uh, that can at any moment go off and shoot a great number, or you can rely on in match play, you know that uh, you're onto a winning formula.
0: Right. Yep. Depth depth in college golf is huge. You know, you you, you mentioned, uh, Rose Roseeng and her decision to to finish to finish up at Stanford or go to Stanford before before turning professional, even though she's clearly um, a lot of people might be questioning why uh, advising mm-hmm. her to turn professional. I, I really want. I really want your opinion on, you know, witnessing, like I've mentioned, witnessing the evolution of golf over so many years. How valuable do you see college golf, um, the experience of college golf in terms of, uh, preparation for, for turning professional for the LPGA tour or the PGA tour? Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of players do choose to forego college and how valuable do you see the college golf experience, you know, and has that, has that changed?
1: Um, obviously, you can see it both, both ways. Um, there are players that, quite frankly, college is not, just not meant for them. Um, whether they're good students or not, you know, some people find going to school very difficult. They may not have had a good time when they were in school. And they might just be ready to turn pro and just move on to another phase of their life. So totally understand that from, from, from that perspective. Um, they may just, may just be... It could be a financial situation too for some players. Like They just can't continue to play the amateur golf scene and to keep progressing, even though college would be funded, uh, the amateur golf scene outside of it is not. So th- there was differences there. But now we have the name image likeness mm-hmm. on the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that will impact whether players decide to turn pro or not. I mm-hmm. think it, it, we see it with mm-hmm. Um She has a few deals on, in, in that, that department. And I think it's allowed her that little bit of freedom and flexibility to say, okay, I'm going to go to Stanford now so I don't have to make money, so I don't have to turn pro. I can actually go and enjoy my life, live a little bit for myself. Get a before college I degree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not even so sure. I'm not even so sure that that is what, I mean, I am i don't know if that's what her ultimate goals are. Yeah. I mean, I know, if I've you go to Stanford, a bit. you must have some, yeah, if you go to yeah. Stanford, you must have a few brain cells knocking around up there. <laughs> but uh, but I'm thinking, right. but I'm thinking that that, you know, For however long she stays at college, I mean, she could be, you know, she she could still finish her degree, even if she's off playing ALPGA. You know, there's still always that option for her. Mm -hmm. No matter how long she stays, the experience is invaluable because she's standing on her own two feet. She doesn't have her mom and dad hovering around over her every step of the way, watching, you know, everything that she's eating, everything that she's exercising, you know, making sure that she's practicing umpteen hours a day or whatever it is. She has freedom to be herself and to realise who she is when she's on the campus there at Stanford. She's being with friends. She's knowing what Rose Zhang wants
0: mm. and
1: when Rose Zhang wants it. And that's huge because when you go off into onto the LPGA, it can be very claustrophobic if you're still having everybody travel around with you and, and do all of that and and I and she you will see that because you can't rent a car on you until you're 25 basically so she'll still have some of that but at least she'll understand what it's like and what she wants um so I always remember a scene from from The Runaway Bride it's an old movie because yeah. I'm an old person yeah
0: yeah but uh,
1: but when Julia Roberts is trying to decide what kind of eggs she wants because she's always had the kind of eggs that her guy has been giving has been making like she goes with the eggs that her guy wants but she wanted to find out what eggs she likes so she sat there with a whole bunch of eggs to try what she wanted and in many ways that's what going to college is like you you
0: figure out what kind of eggs you like Mm, well well that's a neat analogy i love that so so you think that it's interesting um a, a lot of what you mentioned is not even necessarily sh- about the competitive um some of the tournaments like yeah. but but more so figuring out who you are and 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 yep. like you said what what kind of eggs you like so i love that yep. i love that Sp- speaking of of that transition from from college to professional I want to hear a little bit more, a little bit more from you personally about that transition. It's to my understanding that after you finished up at Florida State, you went back back um, to the UK. just outside of England, um, before then returning back to the United States um, to turn professional. Can you tell me a little bit of, about how this happened?
1: I can. Um, I was one of those students that didn't find study very easy. Um, I have ADD and I'm dyslexic. So being in class was not the easiest for, thing for me. So it literally probably would have taken me about a thousand years to graduate. And I'm probably not exaggerating. I, I, I'm, I was that player that, that I would go to my coach and say, these are the, you know, this is, this is my schedule for, for this semester. And she'd look at it and say, okay, you need to drop trig and pick up basketball because we need you to stay eligible. <laughs> so that was me. Um, so it was going to take me a long time and I was really And I kind of had hit the wall academically at Florida state and, and it just was going to be impossible for me to, to keep going. So I ended up leaving early. I went back to England. I wasn't ready. Well, I was ready to turn pro, I guess. I I wasn't sure if I was, if it was something that I was even going to be good enough to do, to be honest, I went back to England. Um, I I had jobs. Uh, I worked in restaurants and bars and, and doing all of that stuff and played the amateur scene. And it was hard work. I was trying to save money to turn pro. Waited tables. And uh, one of my customers said, uh, why haven't you turned pro yet? And so I told him that I was saving money. He said, well, I'll give you the money to try. And wow. long story short, long story short um, without Keith Rawlings, I, wouldn't, I don't know where I'd be right now. But so he gave me the money to try. I came out to America to Q School and I went through qualifying the school. I got my card first time. But it wasn't an easy transition. Um, I didn't make my first cut until... I, would, I think it was May. So I didn't make my first cut until May. I didn't play in many events before that, though, either. And money was running out. Everything was getting very stressful. Um, but but somehow uh, I made my first cut. I played in, the, in a pro-am that paid me some money. And I found a sponsor all in the same week. And wow. I always say that I have been very, very lucky um, to have found my way here and to be in the position that I'm in because so many – Things happened at crossroads where it could have gone either way, and uh, and and it always turned out to work in going my way. So I ended up doing that. Had a top ten. Next thing I know, I'm on tour for fifteen years. But it was a it was different because as soon as I came out on tour, I looked around and I saw a lot of very good players that all played well, and I'm like, okay, I'm I'm not I'm not this I'm not as good as I thought I was. And so you then have to go through a little. I had a bit of a reassessment of my golf game, and I think everybody goes through that. And the question is, how you come out of it the other end? For me, I was lucky. I had a great coach. Uh, We had a good plan. I I was one of those obsessively hard workers, and and I just threw everything at it. And by being obsessively hardworking, also kind of means you're very selfish at the same time. So I had a very selfish streak. But it helped me transition from being a good amateur into being a winner on the LPGA Tour, just because of the work. I had to make some changes to my swing uh, to facilitate uh, better quality shots and, and golf
0: extremely impressive what you were able to do so congratulations on, on mm-hmm. I, I know that you were you earned exempt status in in 2000 for, um on the LPGA tour and then it was mm-hmm. in 2004 which I'm sure has got to be one of if not the highlight of your professional career at, at, the, at the women's open at Sunningdale um, would, would you consider yeah. that would you consider that um the highlight or or one of it has to be yeah, yeah it has
1: to be I mean it's like I, I think think the first win uh that I got in Tucson that was pretty special because that's your first win and you never know you, you know you don't really know if you're ever going to win until you do that's mm. the thing you you, you kind of hope that you do but until you actually get your hands on a trophy you don't know if that's going to be the thing and I wasn't sure if if winning a major championship was ever going to be my future obviously you dream about it and hope for it to happen and for me I really felt like uh the Chevron championship at Mission Hills was going to be my best chance of winning a major because that golf course really suited me mm. I really liked it it was there was a lot going on there for me that I enjoyed Lynx golf courses and British Opens for me were kind of I that's where I grew up and so I know them well, but I also know how fickle they can be too, in terms mm. of the weather conditions and the bounces and, and and what happens. So I never really saw myself ever winning a, a British Open. I always saw myself winning maybe the the Chevron. Um, so so at the start of 2004, my coach said to me, because we, ha- we, ha- we had to sit down and we worked out the, the plan of where I was going to play and because everybody peaks at certain times. And so, so I plan, I was trying to peak for those majors to get my game in just the right spot. Mm. He says, how do you feel about Sunningdale? Which was where I won the British Open. How do you feel about Sunningdale? I said, uh, it's kind of, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it's no a good way. course. I like it <laughs> because it's, it's not, it's not really, it's not inland, it's not links. It's kind of in between it's kind of uh. and he's like, oh, he said, um, I feel like you're going to have a great week there. And he said this to me in January. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And sure enough, I I went ahead and won. It was crazy. It was crazy. I can't, like I said, so much of my journey through golf, I've had moments like that, that that you just kind of think just meant to be. Some things were just meant to be. And, And I look at what I'm doing now and I look at the career I have now talking golf on TV and talking to you on here about golf in general. And I think without winning that, that, that British open, I wouldn't be in the position I am now. And this, this is, this feels to me talking golf is what I should have always been doing. But without my experiences along the way, I wouldn't be able to do this. I wouldn't be here. So I I feel like this is where, where I'm supposed to be. And, and I was able to to help my family and, you know, we, we didn't have very much. So I was able to get cars for my, for my parents and, you know, redo their bathrooms and pay off mortgages and things like that, that, Without winning, I, we wouldn't be able to do. And it just, I don't know. It just felt like that—that that was what I was meant to do. I,
0: I love hearing that. That talking golf and, and doing what you are now is what you feel like you yeah. were meant to do. And I really, I want to touch on that more. But a, a, one last, uh, one last thought that I have that that I would absolutely love to know about about that moment at Sunningdale um, when you won, when when you won, and w- when you clinched that win. In that moment. When I mean you're at you're at the peak, right? You're you are the best of the best, and in that moment right there, what you do, you cannot go any higher, right? You can't do any mm-hmm. better. So, I mean, you're you're the best of, of all the women playing. So, I I want to know how long th- that feeling of fulfillment and and feeling <laughs> that you're the best. How long does that last? Oh.
1: That's a comp. It's going to be a complicated answer because it's not, it's, it's not as simple. It's not as simple as that one moment. Okay. Um, That's all right. Because throughout the course of that week, um, I felt like I was the best over every single shot individually. And everybody talks about being in the zone. They talk about um, hitting one shot at a time. I was very much in one shot at a time mode because I was so, Hooked on the feeling of how I was hitting the ball, and I don't know any other way to describe it as that. I I was obsessed with the quality of my strike. I was striking the ball so well that it was so much fun that I just couldn't wait to get to the next shot to hit it because it was just that the feeling of the ball off the club face, watching the ball fly as I'd pitched it in my head, everything was right there where it needed to be. The score didn't matter. Like whatever happened, I didn't care. I just couldn't wait to feel, to feel that feeling off the club face. I mean, it was just, it was like a dream because it was so perfect and so pure. And, and so I, I, I went that whole week that way, but I was, I was brewing for it the week before Evian when I finished, where I finished fourth. And then I had to have a quick turnaround. I, I stayed at home in England and celebrated my victory after winning. And then I was playing in Toledo the following week and and I would made a commitment to play in a tournament, and and they weren't sure if I was going to show up to play because I just won and didn't want to stay and stay and hang with my family. But I, I flew on the Wednesday, I got in, and I literally teed it up on the Thursday, having not played the practice round or a pro am or anything. Um, and I finished second to Meg Mallon, so I was still playing quality golf. It wasn't so much the feeling of being the best um, over everybody else; it was being the best for myself. That I was feeling the best version of me and what I was able to do and that's that's one of the lessons that you learn when you when you do win is that this is just being the best version of you you can't compare yourself to anybody else you can't try and be anybody else you can only be the best that you can be and at Sunningdale I was and I was pretty close to it on the weeks either side over every single shot that I played and that's really what it boils down to
0: you're absolutely right. You and it it goes back to exactly how you said of you can never you can never question your own game and what you have if you're confident in what you have um, and not searching for anything more then then that's what's going to separate you. Um, I think everybody. I
1: think you know even you know when you think about you and your game and when and. When you've hit even just that one shot that was perfect, that, that in your mind, that the strike of the club face was just amazing. Like, and even on the driving range, it could be just a shot on the driving range. You're like, oh, that was it. That was that was it. That's what I want. I had a whole tournament that felt like
0: that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, couldn-
1: that that's that's just. I mean, I'm like, I I don't know how to how else to, to to describe it. But I was definitely not thinking about the win or anything else up until the final hole of that
0: of there. And I'm like, Oh, I could win this (laughs) up until the final hole. Wow. That's, (laughs) that's impressive. That's impressive. I can definitely relate to, to when I think about, um, the, the times when I've played my best, it's, it's oftentimes it's not, it's not the whole round even that I think about or, or the score or the win or whatever that may be. It's always just that feeling of, being excited to hit the next shot right so i Mm -hmm. i I love that so speaking of like you've said that that win that win uh you know kind of kind of propelled you into the rest of your future on the tour and then now what you do now talking golf um on tv broadcasting commentating i know you you joined golf channel in, in 2013 can you tell me just about when you knew that that, that that was going to be a future for you or how this kind of fell into your lap? Oh,
1: again, it's going to be a long one. So uh, in 2007, I had my son Logan. And at the time, I was just coming back to playing golf when the BBC asked me if I would do radio coverage for the Open at Carnoustie. So I'm like, sure, this would be great. After having a year of not making any money, sure, I'd like to earn a little bit of money. That'd be kind of nice. And try and replenish my, my bank account just a little bit because when when I was pregnant and I had Logan, all the sponsors said no, thank you, we're gonna we're gonna move away. Now fortunately everything's changed and they stay, but back then they they didn't. Mm. So I um I, I worked at the open and I loved the chat in the media center, the the discussion about golf, the the course, the, the setup, the who's doing what, where and why, and just talking with with the writers about what was gonna happen. I just loved the the, the talk. So, I had a great time doing that. And so, I'd worked a little bit for the BBCs after that, you know, at the men's open and at the women's open, kind of filling in time here and there when I wasn't playing. And then in 2013, I kind of had an epiphany and I'm like, I'm so tired of playing tournament golf. Like, it just a couple of things happened. One, I, were, I, I got paired with some people that I didn't want to play golf with. I'm like, I don't want to spend my time playing golf with these people, you know, <laughs> trying to make, trying to make money. Like this is not yeah. fun for me anymore. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't want to spend time on the grind. Uh, not so much the grind of when I was away, but when I was at home, I didn't want to spend time, you know, 10, 12 hours on the driving range when I could be spending it with my son who was in school by then. Mm-hmm. And it just was, it was just so hard because I've always been, like I said, I am that throw everything at it, work so hard. I don't even, my hands hurt so much. Like I just, I worked so hard and I, and then it, and I was getting nothing back. And I was sacrificing so much time with my son. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. This just, this is hurting my soul to not be with my son to be spending so much time on my golf and feel like golf is just hating on me all the time. And, and that's the, that's the thing. Like it became an emotional thing for me that, I felt that golf hated me, and I was trying so hard to make golf love me, but golf was hating me. You know, it was the ultimate unrequited love. I mean, it was so difficult, and I, I'm like, I need to find something else. I need to do something different. So I immediately thought of trying to do more commentary. You know, obviously the BBC and working was an easy option for me because I ho- I already had a little in there, but they don't cover enough golf for me to make a living doing it with them. So. Golf Channel was a good option. They covered all the LPGA, and I'm like, I'll just see if that could, that could possibly work. So what I did was I kind of tagged along. I kind of went along and watched, and see see if it was something I could do. And and the the producer at the time was a lady called Beth Hutter. Uh, she actually has just retired this year, but uh, I went up to her. Uh, it was Toledo in 2013, and I said, everything happens in Toledo. It sounds like for me, but so anyway, it's in Toledo. And she says, actually, we could do with a third on course. Here, you know, you fancy giving it a try? I was like, sure. So I put a pack on, and I went out, and I followed a group, and interviewed in B Park. And a uh, little did I know that that was kind of my audition. And uh, and I passed, and I started to get a few more opportunities. But I ended up doing a bit of booth, you know, being an analyst in the booth a couple of times too. And um, kind of, I just kind of put my foot in the door and kind of forced it open because I'm not sure that they were really looking for me. Um, or, or for somebody like me, and I, and I'm just, I just knew that I wanted to do it, and I loved it, and I, lo- I have a passion for talking about golf and figuring out how and why and problem solving, and, um, and here I am, still, still doing it, which is awesome. Like, you know, I'm incredibly lucky now that I get a chance to do some men's golf as well, which I, which I really love because there's so many facts and figures in that, and it really kind of scratches that analytical itch that I have.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, I definitely I definitely want your take on on uh, on some ca- comparisons between between the LPGA and, and PGA Tour. But, you know, being you were the first ever female analyst to do a PGA Tour event on Golf Channel. I mean, what what an amazing what an amazing accolade, what an amazing thing to 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 have. So, I mean, what are some of the challenges that that have come with um with this transition into into broadcasting and m- maybe partially being a female in in the in the industry, one of the first females to really break through. I feel like
1: I've had some great role models. I mean, you think of Judy Rankin; um, she's always been there for me with any questions I have. She's been a great friend and role model to me throughout my time. Dottie Pepper as well. I mean, there have been Donna Capone, a number of women that have been there and done that. Uh, but for me. Um, the difficulties are that you're transitioning from a job where you're in charge of everything. Like I was my own boss. I played a schedule that I wanted when I wanted, and I worked as hard as I wanted to at it into a business that is very subjective. If people like you, you get work. If people don't like you, you don't. And so it's, it's, it, that to me was, was, very, was very different. Um, I also think that that women in general commentating in men's sports face, you know, some stereotypes that, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you know, they've never hit the ball 350 yards. How are they going to talk about men's golf? Uh, that's not, you know, that's 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 so wrong. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's like it's it's like sure, no. I, I, granted, I haven't hit the ball 350 yards. That's not to say I don't know what it feels like to, to try and thread a driver down the 18th hole it's likely it's likely that win. whoever
0: is saying that hasn't hit the ball 350 yards either so no,
1: <laughs> this this is this is very true but I, and i also think that there's a number of things that happen too is that for women women typically start off commentating in women's sports and and in women's sports there's just a lot less funding in general uh, for statistics and analysis and numbers and facts and figures i mean women's golf is a prime example you look at uh, men's golf the PGA tour has shot like you know, and, and you've got every single fact, figure and number at your fingertips in real time. Yeah? How players are playing, where, where, where they are on the golf course, how far they fit their drive, what the radar data is on it. Anything and everything you could possibly want is right there at your fingertips. And it's statistically, you know, you can go back in time and see what they did in previous years and where they hit it on holes. And I mean, it's just ridiculously good how much information they have. But if you go to the LPGA Tour, I mean you've got your very basic stats and now they have the KPMG performance things but but those are numbers kept by Caddies which are, you know are good but you know may not be as uh, definitely not as good as the shot link stuff. Mm. So so the what then happens is that when women talk about women's golf on TV there's it's much less statistical analysis happening because we don't have access to those facts and figures it's Mm. not that we don't know them or don't understand them Mm -hmm. but I don't think people know that we just don't have the numbers to use them so they assume that we don't know what they we we don't think about it from a statistical standpoint so it goes back to that you know boys do math women do English that old scenario (laughs) wow you know it's it's it very much can can get a little bit like that and so you have to you know I, I I feel like as women's golf progresses um, on LPGA, the more statistical data that they can get their hands on, that they can be funded to provide them with, the better that the women have chances of broadcasting it, have a chance to uh, branch out and do other golf and other men's golf and be seen more on an even playing field. But I also think it goes down to LPGA teaching pros too, because if you watch if you're watching LPGA golf, they oh, well, you know, they don't have, trackman data they don't have this or that they don't have you know shot traces they don't have blah 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 i want to go and see a guy pro because you know he must understand all that more <laughs> you know he must you know and so it, it's a trickle down effect that, that trickles down throughout the whole industry um but i think things are changing i think it's it's definitely moving but i've been very very lucky there uh, i've worked for PJ tour live now for a number of years and i've, I've covered PJ tour golf for, for them and it's made me a better announcer, analyzer, because I covered the men's golf as well. Um, and I think the more golf I can cover, all kinds of golf, whether it's LPGA, PGA Tour, college, top-level amateur golf, um, I think that you get a, a better basis of knowledge and, and you get and you can form, formulate different opinions on things because of what you've seen from all different tours and all different styles of golf. Um, So I'm very lucky. Again, I'm very lucky.
0: Right, I, I'm sure that makes that makes so much sense. Being able to to draw insight from what you watched uh, on the men's tour as opposed to to the uh, the LPGA tour, and then and then having played yourself, played college, played professional. I mean, all of that insight is like almost overwhelming. How much how much you would have to offer, really. So <laughs> y- y- something something that I feel has been kind of a, a topic of of conversation, of, of of discussion, especially in recent years, is in comparison um, the disparity. Between on the PGA Tour versus the LPGA Tour in terms of representation of um, of, of demographics. So there's on the PGA Tour there's a much larger uh, there's a much larger proportion of of American men as opposed to um, on the LPGA Tour. Um, I, I think it was it was eight or nine of, of the top ten from from different countries. Just a, a much different percentage in terms of of representation. So I mean. To your, to your knowledge, to your opinion, just based on what you've seen, what you've witnessed, um, what you've you know, grown up in, why, why do you think that this is?
1: All right, so I, I, if you think about it to even your experience, I mean, you talked about being on a boys' golf team. Mm-hmm. Probably only because there was one girl playing golf in your area, <laughs> and that was you. Right,
0: right? partially. Yep. So,
1: so, 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 So there's one girl to ten boys in America playing golf, whatever whatever that number is. So so the talent pool to pull from is a lot less from the female side. But because the LPGA is so global, you're getting the very best of every single country's women coming and playing on the LPGA tour. It's like the market hasn't been saturated with American golfers because there's, there's not enough of them playing because they're playing soccer or they're playing softball. Or they're playing tennis or they're doing other sports and stuff too now i know that happens with guys but but there's so many more boys playing playing golf at country clubs across america the girls it's not the same if the the ratio is is like one to ten or whatever it is i don't know what the actual numbers are but just from looking and from my own experience like if there's one girl playing golf you'll see five other boys Mm -hmm. playing golf Mm -hmm. and that happens at every country club so so if you have 10 country clubs all doing the same thing, the chances are you're going to get three or four really good, talented boy players. And, you know, you might get one talented girl player coming out of that pack and then keeping them interested enough to keep going and playing. So what, what you're seeing is saturation of guy players, lots of them very talented, all trying to make it on the PGA Tour. And you're seeing a, very, a, a smaller number of women players. But because there are... You know it's like it, it, more spots available i don't know if i'm saying this right or if i'm mm-hmm. putting it into words mm-hmm. properly right no absolutely. but i think but 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 i think you can get the gist of what i'm saying is that there's an opening for other countries and other players from other countries but the very best of those other players from the other countries to come and play on the best tour in women's golf which is the lpga
0: so you know we've got uh, we've got a big week coming up here uh u.s women's u.s open here uh um here at Pinehurst this coming week. I, I mean, I've got to hear your opinion. We've got Annika, Nellie, and now Michelle. Three massive names in women's golf. How are you feeling about, you know, Annika, <laughs> Annika's willingness to come back and and Nellie, her her first time back, and, you know, Michelle now announcing that this will be her last? Oh,
1: I, I mean, you hit on it. I mean, they're, they're the three, three big names right there. I mean, Annika, I mean, it's actually very courageous i think of her to, to come and play in this uh, because um the, the the depth of talent now in, the, in women's golf is just so deep comparatively to where she she walked away from it and she's not as long as she used to be and i know that she can't be practicing as much as she used to she's probably putting a lot of effort into it knowing annika but it can't be as much as what she was used to doing uh, she's a full-time mama and businesswoman. you know she's Got a whole lot going on in her life now that she didn't have when she was playing full time, so it's going to be hard for her. Uh, there will be an emotional uplift, I think. And much like Tiger Woods, you can never really truly underestimate Annika um, because she is such a competitor. But, but it's going to be hard for her to to, uh, to contend. I'm not saying to make the cut. I think she might, probably will make the cut because that's Annika for you. But I, I'm not <laughs> sure about contending. Um, Nelly, this is her first first time back. I mean, quite. I mean, what a shocker to have a blood clot in your arm and to not be able to play and have all the surgery and everything. I mean, oh my goodness, world number one, and this is what's going. And then all of a sudden, this happens. I mean, I mean, that's just really bad luck.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so I really hope that Nelly comes back and has a great tournament. I mm-hmm. can't. Again. There's going to be a whole lot of rust right, in her game. Right, right. Uh, she, She's she's not going to be tournament ready. But how how quickly she can shake the off,
0: don't know. So so
1: again, it's a bit like how do we know? And, and then a Michelle, different kind of
0: pressure. A different kind of pressure being that all eyes are on you because you're the world number one, and then now all eyes on you because you were at world number one, and now you're you're coming back off of, off a hiatus. Uh-huh. You know. So
1: exactly, exactly. And and Michelle. I mean, I, I think everybody's seen this 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 move coming for a long time. I mean, she hasn't really been present at golf tournaments for the last few years, anyway. So we all knew this was going to happen. Uh, but I think this will be a special week for her because uh, Pine Needles is going to feel very similar to her to Pinehurst, where she won. So it's you know it, it's good. But but I think we're going to see a fresh some fresh faces pop up on the leaderboard. Um, I, I would say Hedging Choi. She's a player to watch out for. Um, young rookie from Korea. I mean, uh, she almost won this in 2017. So um, it's going to be interesting to see who comes forward.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm I'm really looking forward to watching. I'm going to be there. I'm I'm going to be there, and I'm I'm really looking forward. Cool. So I want to wrap things up here, Karen. I've got I've got the the five clubs, five questions for you. Tradition that we have here. So number okay. one, I know. I know you notoriously love to road trip. It's kind of a kind of a thing of yours. What is a what's a bucket list road trip for you? Somewhere that you that you'd love to road trip to. Oh,
1: that's a, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> let me think. Uh, I I think ac- um I think across the, the top of America, like across the top Kind to find the routes around there across the northern states because ah. uh, because there are some pretty mountains you know montana and around and, and on through through those areas so so i think going from
0: east to west across the top of the across the top of america that's a good one. That's a good one. So another thing, number two, you, another thing that you are very well known for, I know it's in your Twitter bio too. You love, you love to cut grass. You love to mow, mow yes. the lawn. So, I mean, I've got to <laughs> ask, is there a specific routine? Is there a very certain way that you like it done?
1: Actually, I did it yesterday morning. I bought I, I <laughs> a red eye from Phoenix, a red eye from Phoenix home. And and Jerry Foltz, who who lives with me here, he, he said that you know you're not to mow today. I'm like, yeah, okay, I won't mow. I need to rest and, and rest up from the red eye. Next thing he knows, I'm on the mower mowing. <laughs> so there is I I, I I specifically I do the back first, and I have my roots planned, and okay. I and I do my you know donuts around the palm trees and things. And so I have a lot of fun doing that. And then I go to the front and I make the front law look pretty. And then we have this area outside. Uh, we live on a lake, but in the in the summer the lake water drops so low that, that you, can, you can mow a, an extra portion of the yard at the front. Um, so that's one of my favorite bits to mow because it's completely square and flat and perfect. And so I get to do my lines you. up and down. <laughs> I know. You can tell I'm probably more passionate about my mowing than I am the golf right
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no way. But that's, that's awesome. Oh, you have one more? Of my, my biggest, I do.
1: One of my biggest dreams on mowing, though, would be to get to a golf course and to mow all the rough down on a golf course somewhere like oakmont would be blissful just to take all <laughs> oh the rough goodness. down everywhere so that everybody's ball could roll into all the trouble into the bunkers that wow. anyway I, it, that's my thing is, is to have a golf course with no rough and just just mow it all down yeah that would wow be
0: wow that's so don't
1: too funny. so don't let me yeah, don't let me loose on the golf course if you want your rough intact <laughs>
0: wow <laughs> that's that's hilarious that's awesome okay um number three so like we've said you've just got back from the women's national championship uh, if you could pick if you could choose any course for a college national championship what would it be
1: ah anywhere in the world sure sure well yeah sure <laughs> let's go to St. andrews okay the home of golf. yeah why, why not why not why not take it there um if not um Pebble Beach would be
0: kind of cool. I'm sure they would not be the um, uh, us college kids would not be complaining to play either. So, <laughs> all right, number four. Uh, we were talking about um, talking about all the different golf swings. Talking about you know you mentioned Jim Furyk. Um, everyone's kind of got a, a favorite golf swing or, or some a golf swing that they love to watch on the tour. If you if you could have any golf swing. On the lpga or pga tour who who would you pick
1: oh oh um amy yang okay okay why is that amy yang i just love have always loved her golf swing again she's not a player that you hear much of i mean she's won uh she won in thailand on the lpga uh, but she has the most magnificent golf swing because she does something that i could never do with mine and I was always up and out quick. Like I I could never go low and left through. Um, and I've always wanted to finish going i' always was working hard on that low left through the ball. She has low left to die for <laughs> through the ball. Like she just is, is so, it's just such a beautiful golf swing to watch. Wow. I mean, there are, I mean, there are so many good golf swings now out there, but,
0: for me, I I always said my Isn't it funny how the how the grass the grass is always greener? I mean, you can there's always something about your own golf swing that you that you wish that you had that somebody has, and you're just like, wow, yep. I just love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's too exactly. Funny. That's too funny. So, okay, fifth and final question. So like I've said, you have been a part of the game in so many ways, you've really witnessed its evolution. I'm sure your perspective on the game has has shifted now being a commentator and broadcaster and watching it as opposed to when you were playing competitively. So what is now, knowing what you know, what is mm-hmm. one sentence in a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self as a player and as a broadcaster? As a player, it would be, know that you are really good at this
1: game because I felt like I was not very good and that I could be better. And I judge myself against other people all the time. And now as a broadcaster, I look back and I see my name in statistics and I see myself above Annika Sorenstam in some categories and or, or above you know other players. I'm like, wow. How, how could I be? How how could I have thought that I was that bad when I was actually really very good? But that's everybody's, you know, the perception of me when I played. Um, I always felt like I needed more. I, I needed to be better. I, I wasn't good enough. Uh, but now I know that I was, and it, it pains me to think that I was that hard on myself and mm-hmm. my self opinion was was so low.
0: Wow. Um,
1: because it wasn't.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, and how and how about as a broadcaster? What, what advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Uh, I would say keep doing, you, keep doing what you're doing because uh, I, I have no regrets on what I've done and how I've got here. And in fact, I feel incredibly lucky to be doing what I, what I am.
0: Well, I mean, congratulations to you, Kieran. Obviously, that's a, that's a testament to just to what a, to what a great person that you are. You were You were undeniably yourself and and it's it's gotten to you it's gotten you to, to where you are today. So congratulations. It has been it has been such a pleasure sitting down with you today. I mean, really, I, I look up to you in so many ways and it's just it's it's an honor to 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 have a little bit of your time today. So thank you so much for joining me. Well, I've enjoyed it and you've made me think a lot, which
1: is good. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much to Karen Supples for joining me today. I learned so much this morning. It has been an absolute pleasure to sit down with her. And thank you so much listeners for tuning in today on Five Clubs.